Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. Co-host today, Daniel McAdams. Daniel, good to see you. How are you this morning, Dr. Paul? Well, I'm doing very well, and uh, very good to see you. And uh, also, uh, today, what we'd like to do, we're going to be talking about Iran and uh, what's going on over there. But, uh, Daniel, uh, I understand you brought a little guest along. Somebody is going to be helping us out in the R.P. Ron Paul Institute. Yeah, you may have noticed, Dr. Paul, there is someone else next yeah, to us we, in Yeah, we studio. found him. Where did you find <laughs> this gentleman? <laughs> Patrick Henningsen is uh, going to be a summer visiting fellow at the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, he, so he's joining us today to do the show a little bit with us. He's an expert in foreign affairs. He's currently an M.A. student uh, studying international relations in the U.K., but he's the founder and executive editor of the 21st Century Wire, and we're familiar with a lot of that work. Vanessa Beely does a lot of work for them. Uh, so we're very delighted to have Patrick joining us uh, for the summer. And uh, Patrick, welcome, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Daniel. Great to be with you, Dr. Patrick, Paul. good to have you with us, and uh, we'll get started and talk, because there's a lot of things we can talk about around. And it's, this uh, subject's been around for a long time, because I remember very clearly what was going on in 1953. I don't think you got young guys remember that so much, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was right after Eisenhower got in, and there was uh, an attempt at coup uh, in, Iran, in, in Iran. Matter of fact, there was a coup and made everything worse, and we're still suffering the consequences from that. But we're back at it again, and uh, I'd like to just make a comment about uh, why do you think it is that we as a country and our foreign policy leaders, we do certain things, and they always fail, essentially, and sometimes they help the enemy more than they help us, and they never seem to learn. Have you noticed that uh, the failure of foreign policy, that we don't have a very good record? This is true. This is true, uh, especially with Iran. This is... Uh a repeating cycle that's been going on, like you said, since 1953. And there have been recently a lot of attempts to sort of instigate and promote unrest uh, and really publicize uh, how unstable the government in Tehran is in our media and from our uh, right. politicians in the U.S. So, uh, but whether that's the case on the ground and how much that's the case, that's, that's also debatable. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Paul, you know, you probably saw in the news that uh, the MEK, the People's Mujahideen, uh, is a group that was on our terrorist list until uh, recently when Hillary took them off. Uh, they had a big rally in Paris. Uh, Newt Gingrich was there. He got a little paycheck out of it. Uh, so did uh, Giuliani, our <laughs> old friend. He spoke, and they all speak for very high paychecks. Uh, but they believe that the MEK is going to be the next government of Iran, should be the next government of Iran. Um, here's what Giuliani said up on the stage. The mullahs must go. The Ayatollah must go and they must be replaced by a democratic government, which Madame Rajavi represents. She's the head of the MEK. Now, Patrick, you've studied a bit about the MEK. Is this the kind of group that uh, we'd like to see heading up Iran? Um, well, <laughs> for the, the first thing to understand about the MEK is uh, that, yes, they were a terrorist list, uh, on the terrorist list and since 1979, uh, by most people's estimations, are responsible for killing uh, over 10,000 people by violent means. Uh, so this is not um, uh, a, a nice group by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I think one of the other things people need to realize is that the MEK uh, puts a lot of money into the U.S. political system uh, on Capitol Hill especially. And so with that money buys this kind of um, uh, advocacy by yeah. senators and congressmen. And, uh, and, and that money really started flowing after uh, Hillary Clinton and others 
took them off the terrorist list in 2012. So I think it, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out um, how this dynamic is working. Right. And, and, you know, there's several factors going on here. Uh, one is the, that the group's trying to, get, you know, change uh, the regime in, in uh, Iran. It, that means Israel and Saudi Arabia and the United States. They're, they're working on it. But there's also a lot of economic factors there. You can't separate the two because they blend together. And right now there's economic factors going on. And I found it rather ironic uh, with our president. Uh, sometimes sometimes he's on the right track and sometimes he's inconsistent. Sometimes we have trouble figuring out what's going to happen. But uh, the, the other day, you know, but he's been consistent on Iran. He doesn't seem to think they're, should, they should be our best friends. So he, he said, all right, we're going to stop uh, all this pretense of of this denuclearization of Iran, and we have to, we have to punish Iran. So he comes up. He wants, to, he wants to punish him again. So we get out of the so-called nuke deal, and then he says to the uh, all our allies, "Don't buy any oil from these guys because that'll only help them. We don't want them to have any income, and the price of oil goes up." And then he says, "Oh, okay." We, we, we're pushing the price of oil, but we don't want high oil prices. That's bad for getting re-election. Election is coming up, and so we want oil prices low. So then he goes to our allies, Saudi Arabia, and says, ah, this is it. What we need are lower prices, pump more oil. I would say that's a bit of economic uh, mismanagement that, uh, you know, it's, I don't think it's good uh, international politics, but I think it's lousy economics as well. Yeah. I just want to say, it's, I, I think it's amazing that the United States uh, signed on to a multilateral, multi-country Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, right. and then they unilaterally withdraw and are now bullying other countries into an embargo to basically isolate Iran economically. So what sort of uh, foreign policy is this exactly? This is the, the big question. Is this a viable U.S. foreign policy going forward? Is this the way to conduct international relations? And certainly um, a lot of people will say no. We've talked a lot about uh, losing credibility internationally, economically and internationally. And even though we're still very powerful and very wealthy compared to others, so mainly because we have the reserve currency, uh, believe me, I think this type of thing that you described there, we lose credibility. Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it looks like the Europeans are going to go along with this. They don't dare jeopardize their trade relationships with the U.S over Iran, which is a lucrative market. It's been lucrative particularly for Germany, but is it worth, I mean, it looks like the U.S. is going to pull out all stops, put all the pressure it possibly can, and we've seen now that uh, India has announced that it's going to cave. It's going to go ahead and stop buying Iranian oil. So I have to admit, I was skeptical that the U.S. could put the old gang back together again and get this international coalition to isolate Iran. But it looks like they're doing that. Whether it's really a success that benefits the American people is another question, I think. You know, um, I might ask you, Patrick, to comment on, on this whole idea. Everybody's heard about, you know, Russiagate and how those Russians were trying to take over our country and controlling the election. And who knows exactly what they might have liked to do or the little bit they might have done. I happen to think there wasn't much to that story. But, but, but anyway, the, uh, the real story that they will not talk about in Washington is the fact, and we've already mentioned that uh, we're talking about the CIA and another coup. We did it back in 53. We've done it about 80 times since World War, uh, World War II. Um, it's just a, every question of mine, you wonder why is it that the American people, uh, either they don't hear about it 
or they don't want to hear about it, but they're sort of oblivious to this. Uh, how, do, how, do they, how do the people who uh, manage our affairs accomplish all that? I, I think a lot of that, Dr. Paul, has to do with the media coverage of these issues and how the media gets into, whether they get into depth or not, what sort of questions the media ask uh, our elected officials, our policymakers, our lawmakers. And I think more often than not, you'll find that uh, the coverage isn't very deep and the, the right questions aren't being asked, hence the public are very uninformed uh, on foreign policy issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely is the case. The media is key. They don't cover, they don't cover these issues. They cover the MEK as if they're just another democratic opposition, whereas we know they're more like the, what they claim the Free Syrian Army was until we found out it was you know, ISIS and Al-Qaeda. The freedom fighters in Libya, we find out that they're all ISIS and Al-Qaeda. But back to this rally in Paris is interesting because they claimed uh, uh, Newt Gingrich claimed 100,000 freedom-loving Iranians are here. It was not even, even 4,000 people. And this is according to The Guardian, which is hardly opposed to U.S. foreign policy, a very, uh, very pro-U.S. foreign policy. They said that actually about 4,000 people there, more than half of them were not even Iranian. They were young East Europeans. They answered a Facebook ad saying, hey, we're, we're going to cover your costs, your food, your accommodations, and give you 25 euros to show up to this rally. So they got a lot of East Europeans. They inter even interviewed a, a Syrian refugee living in Germany. She said, I've never been to Paris, so I thought, <laughs> I'll take the money and have a vacation. So they had to pad this up. It sounds to me like a Soros operation. <laughs> uh, I just want to add, I, I've actually attended um, an MEK rally in Phoenix as, uh, as a journalist when Rudy Giuliani was the keynote speaker. Oh, boy. This was a few years ago in Phoenix. And let me tell you, it was uh, it's quite a scene, big level production, uh, huge budget for AV and uh, lots of states, state uh, representatives, state senators there from Arizona, Rudy Giuliani there, John McCain by video link. Uh, and th what they try to present is this the murderous barbaric regime in Tehran needs to be overthrown and we are the we are the people to do it the MEK is the ticket for regime change uh, for the United States and if you back us and if you back this effort uh, and a lot of wealthy Iranian expats there too uh, and that will make that change in Tehran and that's really the sales pitch uh, that's given at these uh, events. You know every once in a while on our web page they'll try to demonize us uh, who creep in to criticize us and they'll say that uh, I don't know why you would ever support and uh, take the side of, of Iran because they're monsters and they give you all this thing. And, and of course, the way I look at this is I'm not taking their side of it. We try on, on this program to just present the facts to show that they're not always exactly as they're presented uh, by the media. But, you know, they, uh, they point out maybe there are some infractions. Obviously, there are. Of course, I think we should point out the infractions that we have and try to improve ourselves. But the one that they never do, and you might comment on this, is they don't very often compare it to our best, not our best, one of our best allies on this issue is the Saudis. They're, they're not very good civil libertarians, to say the least. 
Yeah, I think there might be a correlation, Dr. Paul, between the amount of financial support uh, that comes into to our country from Saudi Arabia f through lobbies uh, and also the economic uh, piece that Saudi represents in terms of our geopolitical interests in terms of petroleum, right. for instance, and how much uh, influence they have on these sort of issues or, on, or whether they're noticed on human rights uh, records and so forth. And I think uh, the answer seems to be correlated <laughs> with the amount of money involved. Uh, in this, in They're this not situation. seeking truth. <laughs> well, that's so true, Patrick, because you think about the Saudis, it's not just the Saudis, they spend millions of dollars a year on lobbyists in Washington, but places like the United Arab Emirates, they fund a lot of think tanks in Washington, D.C., get favorable coverage. Qatar funds a lot of Middle East Institute, all of these think tanks, mm -hmm. they fund them all. But you know, if you, if we talked about this last week, Dr. Paul, the, uh, the Secretary of State Pompeo sent out a few tweets uh, chiding the Iranian government saying, hey, the people are out in the street, they're protesting, you guys are all corrupt, your, your foreign policy is too interventionist, that's why they're protesting. But he talked about corruption, the corruption of the Iranian, and I'm sure it's, it's true, all, you know, most governments, all governments are corrupt. But you talk about corruption, I was just looking at this before the show, President Trump's transportation secretary, Elaine Chao, she spoke for five minutes, she gave a five-minute speech at an MEK rally in 2015 for which she was paid $50,000 for five minutes. She's not just the transportation secretary, that's big enough. She's also married to the Senate Majority Leader uh, 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 of, of the United States Senate. That is a lot of power, that's a lot of punch. That 50000 was probably well spent. Care to comment on that? Yeah, and, and uh, you'll find some bigger checks than that with some of the other uh, major speakers that the uh, Mujahideen al-Khak, the MEK, uh, invite to their events. You were talking about Giuliani had some... He, it, this was reported by a number of people, including uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald also wrote a great piece a few years ago on the MEK, and Giuliani had this extravagant writer uh, as a speaker that's expected. It includes, uh, in some cases, private jets and security detail, picking up the tab for all of these things, so uh, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's a bit of a celebrity, the celebrity treatment is, is definitely sort of in order for their Promoting speakers. democracy yeah. is a comfortable thing to do then. You know, we, we mentioned uh, a few things that we have done that uh, legitimately could antagonize uh, unfairly the Iranian government, you know, like the 1953 uh, coup and different things. But also, there, there was a period of time that uh, uh, we were strong enemies of Iran and friends of Saddam Hussein. Uh, you know, during that period of time when these, uh, when the Iraqis were fighting Iranians, and that was in the 80s. But in 1988, in the process of this, uh, we shot down our navy, shot down a uh, commercial airline. 290 Iranians were killed. But you know, I bet there isn't one in. 20,000 or one in a million Americans would have any idea about that. But, uh, well, and, and it, it wasn't a big deal. Matter of fact, the captain of that uh, ship ended up getting special accommodation, you know, n nominations for awards for being a great uh, a, a leader, uh, you know, a military leader. But uh, that, uh, that went, that is remembered. They remember the coup. The Iranians remember the coup. And uh, I think what most people don't realize is that when we do these things, we elicit 
the radicals. I mean, I don't think we'd have, there would be an Ayatollah in charge if we had just stayed out of there. But that's the thing that I tried to explain that to Giuliani, but I think he was closed-minded when I was approaching him on that. <laughs> I think you, you hit the nail on the head. There, there's a high degree of animosity towards the United States for past uh, interventions like the Mohammed Mossadegh coup and like the shooting down of the Iranian airlines, uh, passenger airliners. So the Iranians remember these things, and they, they play an important part of their sort of perception right. of the U.S. But the U.S., because these are underreported in our media, Americans have no idea why they don't like us. So this, this is where the disconnect arrives. I always claim Americans have short memories, and the people in the Middle East never forget. <laughs> Daniel. We should probably, I guess, yeah, bring it, you need to bring it close, to a close it up a little bit. I would, just, I would just try to wrap up by, bring, by coming back to the title. We talk about the CIA plotting an Iran coup. And we talked about this recently, too, that the CIA has set up the Iran Mission Center. And their purpose is explicitly to overthrow the Iranian government, including with covert action that was set up about a year ago. And I think it has to be related to some of the protests we're seeing in Iran. We're also seeing some of the same tactics and characteristics where you'll have peaceful protesters shooting at police hoping to provoke a reaction. We saw this in Ukraine. Uh, we saw it elsewhere. Um, the MEK, which we've talked about through most of the show, believe it or not, the U.S. turns uh, is actually helping the MEK to relocate to Albania, which is our NATO ally, where they have set up a camp in Albania. Uh, so here's Giuliani in Paris, uh, openly saying that the U.S. supports the MEK in this coup. He said, quote, the protests in Iran are not happening spontaneously. They are happening because many of our people in Albania, our meaning U.S. people in Albania, the MEK, and many of our people throughout the world. So the U.S. is clearly and unabashedly behind this regime change. The people that are going to put in power are the same kinds of people that ended up in charge in Libya, and, in, and they hoped it would be in Syria uh, and elsewhere. It's a disaster, uh, and I do want to remind our viewers that our conference on April 18th we will discuss this and many things Patrick brought up the media. The media is critical, critical, critical in this issue. So please get your tickets. Go to the website, ronpaulinstitute.org slash conference. Join us in, on August 18th in D.C. We need to talk about these very important issues. You know, Daniel, what bothers me a little bit about this is that it's not done as secretly as it used to be. Here's a headline. U.S. and Israel form working group to overthrow the Iran government. <laughs> you know, it's out there, but still the people don't care. They're apathetic. Things are going well. Uh, they find other things to be worried about. But uh, it's a reflection of this uh, interventionist foreign policy. That's what we deal with. Uh, intervention doesn't work, and the non-invention is a better approach. Patrick, I want to thank you very much for being with us today, and I will be seeing more of you, and I'm glad to have you aboard. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Dr. Very Paul. Thank you, Daniel. And I want to thank our viewers for tuning in today very much, and uh, please come back soon to the Ron Paul Liberty Report.